listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of Footprints on Our Hearts um, on the 1st of May, or it's 1st of May when it goes out, it's the day before (laughs) when I'm recording this. Um, I hope you're all doing well, surviving lockdown, etc, etc. I don't know about you, but I kind of, I feel like it's become normal now. In fact, so much so that I'm not quite sure how I'm going to cope with going out to life after lockdown. Um, when I've expected to go out and see people and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. I mean, there are definitely some things I'm looking forward to, looking forward to seeing family, seeing friends, having some hugs and other human contact. And, you know, maybe going out for a nice meal and being able to travel a bit further afield um, than the kind of daily walks you can take from your house. But yeah, I've kind of got into a bit of a routine with things um, at home and yeah, life is generally going okay. Although I will say I had a bit of a grumpy patch this morning and I wanted to, I wasn't quite sure whether to mention it on the podcast or not, but I thought I would because I think maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm not the only person who is feeling like this right now. Um, And if you're also feeling like this and don't feel like you can talk to anyone about it, then maybe it helps you feel like you're not the only one out there. So I think the thing I've been getting a little bit fed up with is all the constant complaints about homeschooling and having kids at home, which are stemming from my many friends. So about 90% of my friends probably have kids. Um, So obviously, they've all had kids at home. Some of them are uh, sort of trying to work full time still and juggling things. Some are Um, kind of off work or working kind of part-time so it's a bit of a mixed bag and I just want to say that that first of all you know I do get that having kids at home is super hard that not having that break you know not not being able to send them to nursery or to school and just get that time to yourself is really difficult it's really stressful it's difficult for the kids because they don't particularly if they're young and they don't really understand what's going on Um, And I do appreciate that it's a stressful time for everyone. So I do have a lot of sympathy for parents who who are doing this. But I think there are a couple of things that I've found. Firstly, that for me, I find it quite triggering when the only topic of conversation in most of my friendship groups or whenever I look on Facebook is about having kids at home because that is just a constant reminder, even more so than normal, that I don't have my child at home and that I don't get to spend time with her, that I didn't even get a single day of her life to have her at home with me. So I think it's just a constant reminder that that is, you know, of what I don't have. And equally, I know... I really do know that parents love their children (laughs) and just because you're moaning because you've been up all night or, you know, so-and-so has been screaming since 7am or whatever, they're fighting each other in the garden, whatever. I know you still love them, but 
when you don't get that sense of appreciation from people, any appreciation really for perhaps the extra time they get to spend at home, the fact that maybe parents are home who wouldn't normally be home for bath time and bedtime routines and that extra family time you're getting together it's really hard to just get the negative side and not get that appreciation when those of us who've lost a child and obviously that does include you know parents who also have living children you know would give anything to be able to have this time and to be able to spend this time with their children so I just wanted to mention that um I think the other thing I felt um and I don't know, this, again, this might just be me. I'm just rambling off into the ether here and maybe no one else feels like this, but I have given out a lot of sympathy to my friends over the past four weeks. And, you know, I've tried to carry on being sympathetic as possible. And I appreciate that I don't fully understand this because I don't have living children at home, et cetera, et cetera. But I haven't had anyone or perhaps one person who has asked me how I am or has probably even thought about how this situation might be affecting me in terms of my loss. And you know what? That really hurts. And I guess it's normal. I mean, you know, it's been 11 months since Sky died now. So it's not like it's a recent thing. And I know to most people, they will have forgotten her. Or, you know, if they think about her, they may only think about it in a very brief passing moment. But obviously, for me, I think about her every day and she's always on my mind. So she's always there. And I think that's just a real stark reality of life after loss and how things change perhaps over time. And I'm sure for, you know, parents who perhaps lost their children years ago, then you've been through this and and you feel it even more starkly now, perhaps that life has moved on, the world has moved on, people have moved on and they, they don't remember your child in the same way and I think perhaps this is something that I maybe didn't fully appreciate and people who haven't suffered you know lost a child or a baby don't really appreciate is that when they die you're not losing it's not a point in time you're not just losing that life and then you're sad and then you move on you're losing all those memories that you don't make So every time someone posts a first birthday or a second birthday, you know, uh, around the same time as Skye's would have been, that's a constant reminder of, oh, what would she have been doing now? What would, you know, what stage would she be at when they go to school, when they grow up, etc.? You know, you're not just losing a child, you're losing a lifetime of memories. And And I do think that is really hard to kind of appreciate if you haven't been through it. So I do understand that. Anyway, I'm going to start rambling now, <laughs> but um, I don't know if that resonates. I don't know if it helps at all, um, but I thought that I would share how I've been feeling um, a bit recently. Anyway, on to more positive things. My guest on today's episode is Lucy from the Rainbow Running Club. And if you're part of the Baby Loss community on Instagram, I'm sure you've come across um Lucy on there. She's very active in the community and has done some fantastic things, is doing some fantastic things. So I talk to Lucy about her experiences of miscarriage and infertility, and in particular, the impact on her life and friendships of infertility and the emotional impact of losses even after she'd had her her rainbow baby. 
or her first rainbow baby. We also talk about how she discovered running and how the Rainbow Running Club was born and how she's expanded it and taken events online over the last month or two. So just in case you haven't come across it, the Rainbow Running Club um, was set up last year and they have run events around the country. It's basically an opportunity for women who've struggled with infertility or loss to come together and undertake a gentle run, you know, a bit of running, a bit of walking. It's not a fitness challenge or, you know, anything too, too big and daunting. Um, followed by some cake, which is always very important in these things. Um, and they have become really popular. I haven't had a chance to go to one. I think there's kind of fewer of them up in the north of England. Um, but obviously, once coronavirus hit, had lockdown happened, those events had to had to be cancelled or postponed. So Lucy's been doing a lot of online stuff. She runs the midweek mindfulness um, evening events, which I've tried the last couple of weeks and found really, really nice as a mental reset in the middle of the week. Um, she's had some one-off events at the weekends, which you can book onto. And she's even started a book club, which I think is coming up soon. It might be this weekend or next weekend. Anyway, you can find out everything that's going on um, on her Instagram account, which is at Mother of One, or on the Rainbow Running Club website. And I will include links for those in the show notes. So I really enjoyed chatting to Lucy, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Today, I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast by Lucy, mother of one and founder of the Rainbow Running Club and Rainbow Yoga Club. Can't get that out. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on. Um, We've got lots to talk about today, actually, on various topics. But I'd like to start by talking about the Lucy of six years ago, before infertility, baby loss and running came into your world, looking back at the person you were then, how would you describe you and your life at that point? Wow, that isn't a good one. (laughs) Um, So I worked full time in London uh, for a handbag design company. So I had quite a busy um, and stressful job. Um, I got to travel around the world, which was very exciting. Um, I love traveling. Um, Just recently bought a house, was desperately hoping to get married sometime soon. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I, I knew that I always wanted to have a family. But at that point, it wasn't really something that um, I was starting to think about. Um, But I had no idea what was going to be ahead for us. Mm -hmm. There's always that like nice naivety, isn't there, which you have before you've been through these experiences. And you have this romantic vision of what it's going to be like. And, you know, you're going to decide you're going to have a baby and then that's it. You're going to have a baby. (laughs) Yeah, and it doesn't always happen like that, as I think everyone um, listening to this podcast um, probably knows all too well. So tell us about your your first experience of trying to conceive and what happened. So I turned 30 and the old biological clock started ticking and I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe we better get on with this. (laughs) So we decided to try and have a baby. um, And within a few months, we found ourselves pregnant. 
which was a surprise. Um, obviously, it's what we desperately wanted, but it still was a surprise nonetheless. Um, but uh, seven weeks seven weeks into the pregnancy, um, I started to bleed. Um, and we went to the hospital for a scan and they told us that the baby was measuring a lot smaller than it should do for seven weeks and they would only say that I was around five. But I still at that point didn't really think that it was anything to worry about. I just thought, oh, naively, maybe I've got my dates wrong. Um, and every- they didn't tell me that I should be concerned. They just said to come back in another week. Um, but within a few hours of that scan, I remember we left the hospital and we both said, oh, that's good, you know, we saw the baby, the baby's there, it's going to be okay. Um, but within a few hours of that scan, I started bleeding quite heavily and then the cramps came um, and I remember getting up at like five o'clock in the morning and I was just in absolute agony, screaming at my husband to come to the bathroom. Um, so we went to A&E where they confirmed that they thought I was having a miscarriage. Um and yeah, it was it was all a bit of a blur, but I just wasn't expecting that something was going to go wrong. I knew some people who had had miscarriages, but most of my friends or that had never shared that they'd had one, so I assumed that I would be like everybody else, and once you get pregnant, that's it. So it, it came as a real shock and I really struggled after that because I felt very lost because I didn't really feel like I had anybody who really understood how I felt um, and I didn't really understand whether I was allowed to feel grief for what had happened because I'd only been seven weeks pregnant. Um, yeah, and I, I felt very alone because I didn't really have anybody to talk to who understood um yeah did you share your experience of that with family and friends or had you kind of kept the pregnancy quite quiet up until that point we hadn't told anybody we were pregnant um but we did end up having to share with our families what had happened sooner than we were anticipating because my husband ended up picking up norovirus whilst we were in A&E going through the miscarriage so within 24 hours we were back in A&E with him and he was really really ill and then his parents had to come and I had to explain to everybody why we'd been in A&E so it wasn't really the the situation that I would have liked to have had to share with everybody um but I'm glad that we did share with them because then obviously we had our family support. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it really difficult with work because I didn't feel in any fit state to go back to work after everything that happened to me and then my husband being so ill as well. It felt like I hadn't really had a chance to take everything in. So I took two weeks off work. Um, I felt like that was somewhat frowned upon at work and that I should be back at work and I should just be carrying on as normal. Um, and then it was when you go back and everyone wants to know, where have you been? So for a while I said that it had been because Pete had been so ill and I'd looked after him. Um, but eventually I did tell a few of my friends the real extent of what why I hadn't been at work. And I think that's, I think it's, it must be really difficult if you want to share it or if you don't want to share it. And particularly in a work context, if, you know, you might not want your employer to know you're 
you know, trying for a baby or, or you know, thinking about that in those circumstances. Um, and yeah, I guess you have to give them some reason or whether you can get a sick note that that maybe is vague enough to to not really go into the details of it. But either way, you, I guess you, you you either find yourself in this uncomfortable situation that you, you might not want to be in of having to explain what's happened or um, having to kind of effectively do a bit of a white lie to, to kind of get around it. And obviously there's, you know, you've got all the physical symptoms as well as the, obviously the, the huge emotional aspect of that, which, you know, it's, it doesn't just happen overnight, does it? No, it doesn't. No, it, it took quite a long time to come to terms with what happened, but then also started the urgency to desperately want to have another baby because well, that was what we wanted to do more than anything and that had made me realise even more so that I really wanted to have a baby. So we waited a couple of months and then we started again Um but then we had two years of nothing and that was incredibly difficult. Every month rolled past and I wasn't pregnant and as the longer that went on for, the more and more difficult that became to deal with. Um, I didn't expect not to be able to get pregnant again after I had got pregnant um, and everyone sort of says, oh, you know, it will happen and you got pregnant and that's a really good thing. But it's not a good thing if you can't get pregnant again and you don't have a baby to show for it. Um, and yeah, it, at that point in time, there wasn't the amazing Instagram community that there is today. There were, I don't think there was hardly any podcasts about, there wasn't really anything that there is now. So it was very isolating there was one lady that I work with who was also going through fertility um, experiences. So I had somebody to talk to, but it was very limited. And it felt like I was in my early 30s. Most of my friends were going on to their second or third child and I couldn't even manage to have one. And I feel like that definitely impacted on my friendships because the baby showers and the baby's but first birthdays and all of those things were so difficult to go to that I sort of retracted away from those situations. And I guess had I been open and honest about what I was going through, then they probably would have understood. But at the time, I didn't want to share that I was failing when everybody else seemed to be making it look so easy. You feel ashamed as to like, why can't I do what everybody else is doing, which is you know, it doesn't help to feel like that because you just, I, I just isolated myself further. Mm. And it's, it's such a natural emotion and such, um, such a destructive emotion, shame. And I think, you know, I certainly felt that in terms of my baby loss experience. Um, you know, I've, I've been looking that I haven't struggled with infertility and I can imagine that particularly because of the prolonged nature of that, it, it gets even harder and more wearing. And there's that whole feeling, isn't it? And we shouldn't, you know, it's one of those things that's happened. We shouldn't feel like it's our fault, but you still do feel like it's your body failing you, um, you know, of not being able to do what, everyone talks about as as being a very natural you know normal human thing um 
yeah and I guess I guess there's that shame and that grief and and perhaps there must also be I guess some a bit of envy and jealousy there as well which is quite hard to I know we don't really talk about that that much really but I think it's so natural that you get those feelings that that needs to be acknowledged definitely you're so envious every time you get a message or somebody tells you that they're having a baby obviously you're happy for them but you are so envious because you so desperately desperately want to be them you want to be able to announce to your friends and to be the one sharing your scan photo to everybody to say look we're having a baby and you know we we'd been together a long time by that point and everyone's always asking when are you going to have a baby and it's so awkward because you really want to turn around and say i'd love to have one right now but it's not happening but you you don't know how to answer so then you just feel awkward and then you go away feeling upset and you just yeah i just felt my confidence just disappearing And it also makes you frightened to plan because you're always thinking, well, I might be pregnant, so I might not be able to go on that trip or I might not be able to do this. And, you know, with my job, I had to travel to China and things and I'd be like, oh, no, I don't want to go. And then the trips would come and go and I'd still not be pregnant. And I think, well, I could have done that. So I really felt like two years of my life got lost to not planning, not doing anything, not living. You just get all consumed by trying to have a baby and that doesn't do an awful lot for your mental health and well-being either no and and your kind of social relationships and and that support network as well and 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 again I think that's that must be particularly hard when you're kind of going through this journey alone and and people aren't aware of the situation we don't want to make people aware of the situation um and yeah I think I think perhaps people who either haven't experienced it or or don't know people haven't really come into contact with people experience it don't really appreciate that all-consuming nature and that it's not just oh you know you have a you know you have a disappointment every month when you get your period or whatever it's it's not just that it is literally you know what you're planning for the next year of your life next two years as you said where do we go on holiday or do we book a holiday that we can cancel easily if we need to and all these um different things that the and the changes you make to your life to I don't know um and I don't know if you had any of this I know I've seen other people do in terms of looking at different diets or you know what natural methods can you use to to get pregnant um just turning anywhere in terms of that desperation most definitely I think if there was something that I googled that said that it might help me I had books about eating myself pregnant I you know looked at all the chemicals and every product we had in our house I was like obsessive about what my husband was allowed to eat and drink you know you do become it becomes all-encompassing it's everything you know exercise but not exercise you know I start exercising at the start of my cycle but then the minute I thought well I might be pregnant now then I better not do anything and I'm frightened to move you know every month is just like a roller coaster where you'd start optimistically hoping this month will be the month because you've eaten your 10 bags of spinach this week and you've had your reflexology and your acupuncture and all these things and and then as the month progresses and you know inevitably your period arrives or you 
take a pregnancy test and yet again those words not pregnant come up and it's another smack in the face and then you go on this downward spiral and then you pick yourself up and you think well maybe next month and on and on and on and on (laughs) honestly we human beings we have an amazing capacity for hope I think you know how you know you go through this month after month and every time you know you still have that kindling of hope don't you um and so at what point did you start thinking about sort of fertility treatment then during that two-year period um I think about a year in we went to the GP and said you know since my miscarriage we've not been able to get pregnant what can we do and we were referred for tests but obviously everything takes such a long time so we had all the tests um and that was bringing us to the two-year mark um, and we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility so they couldn't see any reason as to why we weren't getting pregnant which again obviously that's great that there's nothing visibly that they can see but as humans you want answers you want a reason why (laughs) and 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 when you have a you don't have a reason you don't really have oh, well, if I do this, then this is going to work because you don't have that. So we got to the point where they said, okay, the next step will be to have IVF and you'll be referred. But um, just to let you know, you have to be trying to conceive three years from the date of your miscarriage. And I said, oh, I thought it was two. Um, And they said, oh, we've just recently changed the rules. Um. And at that point, it was just like, I can't do another year of this. I'd literally just handed in my notice at work because I just thought, right, well, we're about to start IVF and I can't deal with the stress at work anymore. It's just getting too much. And the three hours commuting to London and back every day and the pressure of my job, I need to have a break. And then for them to say, no, you've got to wait another year. And I, I just can't, we, I just can't do another year of waiting. So we were really fortunate that we were in the position that we were able to afford to go privately. So that is what we decided to do. And I think even even if, you, if you'd been told it was three years from the outset, then maybe it would have been slightly easier. But I guess you must have had this like two year, like this deadline almost in your head as well of, okay, it's not working, but if we get to this point, then, you know, then we can go through the IVF, we can, we can start doing something which will get us one step further to having a baby. Exactly, and give you some control back over the situation again. So yeah, I think you are right, you feel like you're heading towards one goal, and then the goalpost gets taken further away from you. Um, yeah. Hmm. So how how did that how was your experience with IVF and how did that go? Um IVF was incredibly daunting to start with. Um I was very fortunate that one of my close friends had shared that she had been through IVF. So she was literally my go-to. So I asked her advice on how do you find a clinic because you know where do you start? There's loads of them. How do you know which one to pick? And she said, go to as many opening things as you can and then go with what feels right for you. So we went to two um, and we instantly felt 
really happy at the smaller clinic we decided that we wanted to go somewhere local to us so we could drive there um and we just really liked the feel of the clinic the fact that it was small and it felt personal um so we decided to go there um and yeah with IVF there are so many hurdles to get through every single stage to even get to the point of having your embryos transferred that you we just had to look at it as right what have we got to do this week okay we've got to take these injections on this day we're coming in for a scan okay right and that's what I'm going to focus on um so I did that um and we got to egg collection we had our eggs collected and then within 24 hours of having our eggs collected I started to become really unwell and I was really uncomfortable my stomach really hurt I was in a lot of pain and they kept saying oh you know bloating afterwards is to be expected just keep drinking lots of water um but then it got to the point quite quickly where I couldn't even lay down the pressure in my stomach was so immense um and then I became sick and I couldn't eat anything I could barely drink anything so I went back to the clinic and they said that I'd um, developed ovarian hyperstimulation which is where your when your eggs are removed from your ovaries the sacs that they've come from then fill with fluid so both of my ovaries were the size of grapefruits so they were huge and then there's all fluid around that so my stomach was so swollen I couldn't even I couldn't fit in any of my clothes I had to go to the clinic wearing my husband's clothes because I couldn't get anything on um and I just felt dreadful and um every day it was like dealing with that and then also waiting every day for the embryologist to ring to give you an update of whether your embryos have had survived to the next day and how many had made it and we got to day three and they said we'll um, be going for a day five transfer um, but on day four I was just I'd eaten dinner I was being sick I was hysterical and I just said to my husband I can't I can't go ahead because they told us that if they transferred and I became pregnant then the pregnancy hormones would exasperate the ovarian hyperstimulation and the symptoms could continue for up to 12 weeks gosh <laughs> that's not what you want <laughs> I'm three days into this I can't eat or drink anything I can't lie down I'm in so much pain like I can't and this surely can't be a good environment to put a, one of our precious embryos back into so I went to the clinic on day five and we all agreed that it was the best thing to freeze the embryos until I had a chance to recover which I knew was the right thing to do but I was still devastated because yet again it felt like we were aiming for this hurdle and then the goalpost has just been taken away again mm. and it meant more waiting um, yeah and and with so with ovarian hyperstimulation is it is it just a case of waiting until that fluid kind of goes or like is there, do they give you medication to take or give you any indication how long how long it would be before you were well again so they can't give you medication to remove the swelling or the, and the fluid all they can give you is anti-sickness so I had anti-sickness injections and tablets um and then stopped all the hormones that I was taking and then it was just a case of a good few weeks wait like just drinking and gradually the fluid started to go down 
um, I had acupuncture during that time as well and I think that really helped as well and then just gradually moving and eventually everything went back to normal. And at that point were you then able to carry on and pick up and carry on with um, with your IVF treatment and have yeah. the transferred? So I think we had to have two normal cycles of a period um, and then we could go back and start again. So I remember we went in I think it was Christmas Eve or the day before Christmas Eve. I remember everyone was very festive and we discussed that um, we would start again in January. So that felt a positive end to the year because it felt like, okay, well, maybe next year will be our year. So we started again in at the end of January. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, we're having a frozen cycle, so it will be quicker this time because I don't have to have my eggs collected. So we're bypassing that bit. But in actual fact, I think it ended up being just as long or if not longer, because I still had to have all of the down regulating hormones to switch off all of mine. Then they get your womb and everything ready. And then so we didn't actually have our embryo put back in until March. <laughs> Gosh, I never realised it took so long. No, neither did That's I. That's amazing. I being like really... I mean, in a bad way, <laughs> not amazing in a good way, just... <laughs> I remember being really upset because I was like, what do you mean it's going to be another two weeks until we get to the transfer stage? But um, we eventually got there. um, And then you have the dreaded two-week wait that everybody talks about, um, where you literally spend two weeks being... Well, I remember after they, they transferred the embryo and they're like, right, you can get up and you can go home now. And you're just like... I don't want to stand up. I don't want to move. What if it falls out? (laughs) And I remember being, I think there's something wrong with our car. My husband's got a sports car. And I was like, we can't go home in your sports car. It's too shaky. So I remember my brother-in-law had to come with us and he had to drive us home because I was just like, I don't want anything that might dislodge this precious embryo. Um, Yeah. And then two weeks of convincing myself that every symptom that I felt was a bad sign that I wasn't pregnant Um, and because it was a frozen cycle at our clinic you had to go in for blood tests so you couldn't do a home pregnancy test Um, but thankfully we went in and I think we only had about half an hour to wait before we got the results that we were pregnant which was a huge surprise. I think I'm one of these people that always tends to veer on worst case scenarios. So then if, if it's something good, then, it, you know, that's wonderful, but I'm prepared for the worst. So yeah, it took a while to sink in that it had worked. And how did your pregnancy go with your daughter? And how was it affected by your experiences of infertility and loss? I think as soon as I found out I was pregnant, then the fear came back that what if we were to have a miscarriage again especially when this time we had been through so much to get to this point so much emotionally physically financially it felt so much pressure um and just before so we were booked to have a scan at seven weeks and just before that I was out for a walk with my friend and I suddenly felt like I'd wet myself which was quite alarming and I was like oh gosh so as soon as we got home I went to the toilet and I would realized that I hadn't wet myself I was bleeding really heavily and obviously I went into complete panic mode and I was hysterical and I remember ringing the clinic and they said well you're coming in tomorrow morning 
you're not going to be able to get here before we shut tonight so you're just going to have to wait till tomorrow because if you are having a miscarriage there's nothing we can do about it anyway and I was just in a complete state and my husband was stuck at work and he couldn't come so I remember my sister had to come rushing around to be with me um and that night I don't think either of us got any sleep and I was just convinced that we were going to get there and be told the worst but miraculously our teeny tiny little embryo was still there and there was a teeny tiny heartbeat and they said the reason I was bleeding is because there was a blood clot in my womb that was next to the embryo but was actually bigger than the baby so I mean tiny at that stage but even so and they were like literally you have to go home you can't do anything you can't walk you've just literally got to be on bed rest because if you move and the blood clot comes away too quickly it will probably take everything with it so you've just literally got to do nothing for three weeks um and that was incredibly well without a doubt the longest three weeks of my life and I'm not the kind of person that just sits around all day doing nothing I'm the one that does everything at home so to not be able to cook or do anything but I knew that it was the right for the right all for the right reason but it was really difficult just laying there every day willing to get to the next day um so yeah that was quite a torturous three weeks Um, and then at 10 weeks we went back and we had another scan and thankfully um, the scan showed that the baby was there and the blood clot had gone Um, so then it was like oh we've got past that we've got past that past that milestone yeah what's the next one yeah but it did feel like that like for the whole pregnancy every time you'd go for a scan or an appointment it was just literally okay breathe we've made it to that point I, I can't say I massively enjoyed being pregnant. It was a very anxious time and I was always worried that something was going to go wrong. Um, and I found it difficult being with other women who were pregnant around the same time as me who would just talk so joyfully about their experience and like, oh, you know, we've been out to buy this and we've got that. and And I just felt like, but what if it goes wrong? How can you be that confident? Then it's all going to be okay. But I guess if you haven't been through anything and you haven't known anybody who's been through any difficulties, then you would just assume that everything was going to be okay. And I guess I was envious of their naivety to it all. And I wish that I could feel like that. But I don't think until our daughter was actually born and I actually held her and could see that she was alive and breathing did I really relax and enjoy the moment? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, how, how did it feel then when you when you held her in your arms for the first time? Oh my goodness. I know everybody says this, but it, it was a completely and utterly life-changing moment. It was the, the best moment of our lives. And just to have her there and just to see her, because you spend all this time imagining what this little baby inside you is going to look like and there she was and yeah I just think the first 24 48 hours neither of us slept because we were just looking at her all the time and all we kept saying was she's here I can't believe it she's here (laughs) yeah it was it was wonderful to finally have her here and how old is she now she's two and a half now 
so yeah full of personality and character (laughs) definitely and I think you and your husband decided that you wanted to have another child when you're you know when your little one was um was getting a bit older could you tell us about your experience getting pregnant after you had your daughter yeah so we decided that we would like to have another child um and we decided that we would just see what happened naturally we we obviously knew we have embryos that are frozen um so we knew that we had those as a backup but we just decided we would see what happened naturally we weren't really trying but we weren't not trying um and then just before my daughter's first birthday I found out I was pregnant which was a real shock because I don't think I thought I would ever get pregnant naturally because I hadn't for so long so yeah I was a bit like oh my goodness our daughter isn't even one yet I'm pregnant what how am I going to manage this um so yes it took a few weeks to settle in and then started to become obviously quite excited about the fact that we were going to have another baby um but again we got to the dreaded seven weeks and I miscarried at home um and it felt like yeah again I just started to allow myself to think oh that we're going to be a family of four and the minute you see those words that you're pregnant or those two lines on a pregnancy test you have hopes and dreams and visions of what your life's going to be like and then all of a sudden it's taken away from you all again and it was really difficult because there was so much going on for our family at that time that we didn't feel it was the right time to tell anybody that of what we'd gone through and we just wanted our daughter's birthday to be the it was her first birthday we wanted it to be the focus and for that to be the one piece of happiness that everybody had because they were all going through different things um so we just had to get on with it really and put a brave face on and I literally threw myself into her birthday party and to anybody else they probably thought oh my goodness this is so over the top but I was just we were we already thought we were so lucky to have her but then that just reinforced that point to us even more that every moment we had with her is so precious that we just had to I just wanted to make it really special for her and for us as well um, but then, of course, you have a daughter who's one and everybody starts saying to you, oh, so when are you going to have another baby? Because it's just as easy as that. You just uh, put in a request to the store and you drop exactly. one off. <laughs> oh, yes, I'll just pop one in, in the bushes in the garden. And just remember thinking, you all know what we've been through to get to this point. Like, really? Can I just have a break? Um, but we decided that we did really want to have another baby so we would try again Um, and a couple of months later I found out again that I was pregnant which again was a surprise because I thought well after last time after my miscarriage last time nothing happened so I would accept the same will happen again this time and it didn't Um, and this time we got to seven weeks and we had a scan and there was a baby with a heartbeat and I remember the nurse because we went to the IVF clinic to have our scans because we wanted to have early scans and we knew that they would look after us so we went there and I remember the nurse coming in and hugging me and being so excited and my husband saying you can you can look happy you know and I was like okay I can yeah this you know this is gonna happen and I remember we went to the M&S cafe (laughs) and had a hot chocolate and we're like 
wow we're gonna have we're gonna have two children um and I felt so sick and I just thought yeah this time I think we're gonna get there um and then we went back for our 10-week scan um and we were in the car and we were like oh yeah we're gonna find out what we're having and you know, I think that we have, I'm, I'm convinced we're having a girl because I feel exactly the same as I did with our daughter. Um, and you don't ever go into a scan appointment thinking 100% everything's going to be okay. But the fact that I felt so much like I had when I was pregnant with our daughter and that we'd got over that seven-week mark and I'd had no bleeding, no reason to believe anything was wrong, you do go in optimistic and quite excited to see your baby. And I knew instantly as soon as the doctor started scanning me that something was wrong. I could just tell from his face and the screen. And yeah, he said, I'm really sorry, but your baby doesn't have a heartbeat. Um, And we think the baby died about two weeks ago. So literally just after our seven week scan. And I was just hysterical. (laughs) And I just was like, but I feel pregnant. And they were like, yeah, because your body still thinks it is, but it's not. Um, and then they said, we suggest that you go away and wait two weeks to miscarry naturally at home. Um, but a few days into that, I just decided I couldn't wait anymore because I still felt so sick and so tired. And I just thought, I can't feel pregnant when I know that I'm not and I just want this over and I want control over the situation I want to know when it's going to happen so the the clinic said you know you can go through the NHS but I wanted to be with them because I knew that they would look after us and the nurse was amazing on the Friday morning I rang her and I said I can't do this anymore I want to have the surgical management and she moved heaven and earth to make sure that on the Monday I was in and I had the procedure and I'll never forget how she looked after me when I desperately needed someone to look after me yeah and I can't imagine I mean I can can understand from a, a clinical perspective why they might suggest you wait to miscarriage naturally but but having to having to spend that time you know a week or two not knowing when it's going to happen knowing that that your baby is not alive inside you I yeah I can't I mean I can't even imagine how traumatic that must be and I can totally understand why why you made that decision and went for that um and I mean you must have been completely sort of devastated after that what what was going through your mind at that point I was just completely shell-shocked and I just I just didn't know how I was going to carry on because but I knew I didn't have a choice because obviously I had a one and a one-year-old at home who needed mummy to be there on all day every day um so I had to find a way to get myself back together again um and I couldn't I, d- I didn't want to tell anybody what had happened because I, c- I had to come to terms with it myself first. Um, so I decided that the way I was going to make myself feel better was I was going to try and lose some weight because pregnancy and hormones and all of that. Um, and I was going to start doing some exercise to try and make myself feel better. So I was also reading Jessica Hepburn's book, 21 Miles at the time. And I felt so inspired by her stories and challenges. I thought, 
I need to do something. I need to do something. So I downloaded Couch to 5K and I started running and I was hopeless and it was torture and one minute of running felt like an hour and I just thought, I'm never going to be able to do this. And ever since we moved to our house, there's a really long path around our estate and I've always wanted to be able to run to the end of it and back. And I just thought, that's all you've got to do. Just get to 5K and you can do that. And as the weeks went past, I would come back and be like, I ran for 10 minutes today and I didn't stop. And then I would feel so happy and on such a high. And I just felt that on those days when I'd done that, I felt so much better. So I got to 5K and then my sister said, oh, I think you should run a half marathon for Tommy's. And I was like, really? I've only just got to 5K. <laughs> half marathon's quite a lot further. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long way. And she was like, no, it's not until March next year. You can do it. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And then I thought, oh, I'm just going to apply. I won't get a place anyway. But I didn't read. They had two options. You could either enter the ballot or you could pledge to raise a minimum amount and that would guarantee you a space. But I didn't read it because I was like, I'm just going to do it quickly before I change my mind. So I clicked the pledge button. And within like an hour or two, I got an email saying, just to confirm, you've got a place. And I was like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) Now I have to do this. But I really, I'm not a person who enjoyed exercise before or I'm the least sportiest person going. But I just, the buzz that I get when I go for a run and just the just the focusing on running meant that my mind switched off from everything else and I finally found a way to make myself feel better about my body because I felt for so long my body had let me down and now it was actually doing something that made me feel good and it was achieving something and I just said to my friend I can't be the only person who feels like this I wonder if me, Lee Sporty Lucy, sets up a running club for other women who have gone through infertility and baby loss um, to, so that we can connect with others who understand. And she was like, definitely, I think it's an amazing idea and I'll help you. And that was that. <laughs> <laughs> that was the birth of and, the Rainbow Running Club. Yes, and that was that. So I said to my husband, I've got this idea. What do you think? Is it okay? Because obviously we hadn't shared openly with everybody what we'd been through. And he said, absolutely, I think it's a wonderful idea. And if it's going to help you and it's going to help somebody else, then you have to do it. So with his backing, um, and my friends help that's what I did so I decided that I was going to launch the Rainbow Running Club with the idea that we would meet up in different locations across the UK so me and my friend basically decided all the places we'd like to go for a run because at this point we thought well nobody might want to join us and it might just be us so let's just pick the places we'd like to go to and then maybe we get one or two people come along Um, And I remember when I launched my Instagram and my website, I was blown away by how many people got in touch with me straight away. It was phenomenal. And I never expected it to gather such momentum so quickly. Yeah, and I think certainly because this was back in September, I think, and over the last six months um, before coronavirus came along, we'll call it for that, you've had so many events held across the country and you've kind of expanded into different remits as well. Yes, yeah, it's all it all happened in a bit of a whirlwind. So our first run 
we had over 20 women came and some came from quite far to join us in Hartford and it was incredible and the response was so positive and then I had quickly had women contacting you all over the country saying can you come and do a run here or we'd really like to set up a rainbow running club where we are so yeah we've just expanded really quickly we've have ladies all across the UK who have been running meetups um and I've always wanted to make it clear that you don't have to run to join us walk jog run everyone is welcome it's about being together and doing something for ourselves that makes us feel good and the reward at the end is we always have cake (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a good reward and I I I wouldn't say like I'm not I don't know I'm a runner I guess I'm a runner because I run um I don't like really compete like I've done a few like I did a half marathon in February and you know I've done a few things but um but I definitely feel that you know if if I've had a stressful day or I'm just I'm feeling anxious just getting outside for half an hour running in the fresh air can make me feel so much better and it also justifies all the cake I eat definitely definitely a good combination yeah definitely it's it's definitely 90% of my motivation (laughs) to get out and run is so that I can enjoy the cake and still get my trousers done up yeah, and I guess so. The event you had planned was that for this March, the the half marathon yeah, you were supposed so to be I was running. Going to run in the London, the London landmarks for Tommy's in March. So obviously that got postponed. Um, and the plan was then that me and my friend were going to do it anyway. Um, we were going to do it locally, and then obviously we weren't allowed to meet each other any longer. So we both decided we didn't want to do it on our own because we'd trained together and I don't think I've got the mental strength to run a half marathon on my own with nobody nobody cheering me on. So we are going to do it at some point. There's still talk that it may the London landmarks might go ahead. They said that they'll let us know by May. But um we've decided either way, as soon as we can and we've had a bit more training together then we will do it locally together Mm -hmm. and obviously so the situation we're in at the moment with social distancing unfortunately no running club meetups or events like that so how have you taken the the rainbow running club rainbow yoga club online during this time so yes when it first when all of this first started happening we'd just come back from our very first rainbow retreat weekend which was amazing there was 10 lovely ladies who came along we went to Chichester and um, we stayed in a beautiful house we had amazing food it was such a lovely weekend and I was on such a high and I was like I can't wait to get back and plan the next one and I've got all these ideas and then all of a sudden everything stopped and I was like my goodness now what am I going to do and how do I keep everybody connected when it because that's what the main purpose of this is is to meet other people and to connect with other women who understand what you're going through so how do we do that when we can't see each other and it took a few weeks to think what am I going to do and then I had this idea that we would do midweek mindfulness online so we meet on a Wednesday evening um, and I kindly spoke to some of the ladies who have been involved in our yoga events and they very kindly offered to help me to 
run midweek mindfulness. So we meet online on Wednesday on Zoom um, and we've had gentle yoga practice, we've had guided meditation, um, yoga nidra practice, which is like a yoga um, meditative sleep. So you kind of go into a state between sleep and awake, which is just blissful. And the best thing is you can do it at home in bed in your pajamas, which is you can actually go to sleep afterwards. Because so many times at yoga, you lay on your mat and you think, oh, I wish I could just be at home now and I wouldn't have to get up and go outside. So actually it's worked really well. I mean, it's taken a while to work out how to use Zoom and there have been a few technical hitches. There always are. (laughs) I think the second week the link didn't work and I had 25 people ringing me saying, we can't log on, we can't log on. And I was like in a complete panic. Um, But we're gradually getting there and everyone's been very patient with me. So that's been wonderful. And it's been so lovely and it has given me a purpose again and it's also given everybody something nice to look forward to each week. So that's continuing for as, as long as I can continue it. Um, and uh, we've had some amazing ladies who have really helped me to do that because at the moment it is free for everybody to join in. So all the yoga teachers have helped me, have really helped that to come to life. Um, and then we've had, we've got an essential oils um, workshop on Saturday where we're going to talk about the health and wellness benefits of essential oils and then we're also going to do the rainbow running club reading club um because trying to think of different things that we can do from Uh home um so julia bueno the author of the brink of being is going to join us for our first one of those uh, at the beginning of may and she's going to come online and talk about her book and share some extracts and then do like a question and answer and the idea is we can all join in at home with a cup of tea and a nice treat and have a yeah have a a a virtual afternoon tea book reading that's brilliant that sounds fantastic (laughs) I run a book club uh for my readers group online which is dystopian books which is kind of yeah perhaps not that popular at the moment but it's it is really fun I think just to have something to focus on and get people together on that sounds like a brilliant event yeah and we also had on Saturday evening a live showing of there's a show called Inconceivable um and the lady who performed that performed for us her name's Mirav and she performed from her home in Israel to all of our homes in the UK which was just fantastic and it's a really wonderful show it's a one woman show which is quite handy <laughs> considering um and she's just it's her story of secondary infertility but she does mimes and sketches and it's just really funny and it's just really light-hearted and it's it's one of those things that you watch and think oh I'm not the only one that's been through these incredibly bizarre situations in my quest to have a child um and we're going to do another one of those in a few weeks time because lots of people wanted to join us and weren't able to so she's going to do another one for us in May so uh, we've got quite a few things coming up which I'm really looking forward to and really excited about and I I felt like I'd lost my purpose when we couldn't meet in person anymore so I feel like that's starting to come back now it's just finding new ways to adapt isn't it to this ever increasing situation that we find ourselves in at the moment yeah and I I think one of the positives of the you know everything that's going on is 
is how much how many opportunities there are which you wouldn't have otherwise so for example like that you know you might never have thought of that or made those connections or or been able to showcase that if it hadn't have been for this situation we were put in and I think that's the same in so many you know different things whether it's um you know dance exercises and getting the kids involved in that or um you know pub quizzes with all your friends I mean we seem to be doing quizzes every other (laughs) night or something at the moment (laughs) it 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 has had real positives in those respects like where would we be without all the amazing technology that we have that allows us to be able to still see each other and to connect and to do all these amazing things and as you say like you can literally try so many new things that you wouldn't normally have the chance to do um and get to experience yoga teachers from all over the world and yeah all these opportunities and I said the same to my husband the other night like I never would have thought to do this online midweek mindfulness without this but actually I think it's something that even when we can normal life returns in whichever way that looks uh, it's something I'd want to continue because it's such a great way to keep everybody connected because everybody's spread across the UK so we can't all be together at the same time but through the internet we can be so it doesn't matter where you live you can be a part of the Rainbow Running Club and the Rainbow Yoga Club so I really like that so yeah I would really love to carry that on. Fantastic well we are about out of time but I do have one final question and this might be a hard one. (laughs) So cake is a big part of the Rainbow Running Club as we discussed so Lucy what is your favourite type of cake? Oh that is a good one. Gosh. That's the snorter at the end of the interview. (laughs) Can I say all of them? Um, (laughs) Wow I should really have an answer to that one shouldn't I? I mean, you can like them all. Yeah, I mean, I love all... Maybe it should be a rainbow cake. Yeah, (laughs) definitely a rainbow cake and something with sparkles on it. A rainbow cake with lots of sparkles. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So would you like to share where people can find out more about the Rainbow Running Club and the events you've got going on and connect with you online? Yes, thank you. Um, I'm at Mother of One on Instagram um, and our website is www.com rainbowrunningclub.co.uk and that lists all of our events and all of our teams throughout the UK as well so you can see if there's someone in your local area who's holding events and you can get in touch with them directly as well. Fantastic and I will include those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast Lucy, it's been really great chatting to you. Thank you so much for having me and for your brilliant questions. (laughs) (laughs) Including the hard ones. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.